but I have. And so I love that we have an opportunity tonight to hear. So I'm, I'm, I want to facilitate a time. Jeff's going to help me. Where, where are you, Jeff? Where'd you go? Jeff's right here. He's going to help me. And we are going to just hear. First, I want to just ask some particular questions of particular people who are leading things this weekend. And Jeff's going to chime in with any brilliant insights he has as we ha we have a corporate conversation. Yeah, I'm going to do that right now. Um, how many of you were here last year? Those of you who were here last year know that by the time you were done, we, we needed to hear from you. Yeah. That in many cases, we have people that are experts that have been doing lifelong uh, using their gifts for their, their entire life. And we wanted to hear from your perspectives. And we said, we kissed you goodbye and said, now go home. And so this has actually given us an opportunity Beautiful. to where we can introduce a conversation with you guys as some of the experts in the yeah. room. So At our church, we have a Lord's Supper service every, Sunday, every first Sunday night of the month. And we devote the whole service to that, to the Lord's Supper. But then we have about a half an hour where we have what we call family time, where where a couple of us run around with microphones and we go up to people who are completely unsuspecting some of the time and we ask them for brilliant insights. And one of the things we talked about in my breakout on play today was that we need to take God really seriously, but not ourselves. And so this is a great opportunity to do that. And so the first person I would like to talk to who you know way better than I do, Norm, would you come on up? Yes, come on, come on. I, I want to hear from you. I, I, really, it is a challenge for me that, that we're all not getting the... I, I'm aware of how incredible so many of the people here are. I'm, we're all incredible, I'm sure, but I don't know all of you well enough to know just how incredible you are. But I do know. So Norm, I told Norm yesterday, I met him for the first time yesterday, even though I've been, I've been hearing about him for 22 years, and I told him I'm sick of hearing about him, and I'm glad I finally, finally got to meet him. I, well, I spent a lot of time here, first of all. And well, you guys are having the conversation. I'm going to go ahead and uh, <laughs> yeah, just... Brag on Norm a little yeah, bit. I Why want have you to I know, been hearing about him for 22 years? Yeah. So if you've ever been to camp here and you've seen all the different teams that we all have posters that represent every single team, and the question is, where do you come up with those team names? Where do you come up with the posters? How many years did you do posters for you? That's hard to answer. I think I, I don't need the hardness. I just need the answer. I think I started in 1979, which was before you were born, young man. So a little respect. Yeah, 1979. Wow. Working at Wagon World. Through, uh, through what? Winter. Oh, I, my last summer full time was 2005. Yeah. yeah. Last summer. Got to do so you, you are a lot of the creative genius behind here. Right. Yeah. Okay. But we would come uh, yeah. up with the team names, and that's all we would give Norm. And then he would create the image and everything for decades after that. So you're a painter. Yes, sir. I like to paint. What else? What else do you like to do? Well, I like to, I'm an architect too. I like to design buildings. I was, Jeff and I had a hand in building the uh, Joshua, designing the Joshua building, which was super fun. The Wagon Train Treehouse, my favorite thing I ever got to design. You designed the treehouse. The, the original drawing Have you guys been hanging. to the treehouse? We, we should do fun. a field trip up there. It's the mother of all treehouses. It's, it's yeah. way cool. But that yeah, was after Ron the Setter and the team that built it. I, I just, uh, it, it, 
was fun. So what else? What are the sorts? Uh, some houses, I've done some houses. Some of them burnt down in the 2003 Cedar Fire, but that was fun. Designing and building houses for people. Listening to arguments about, well, I don't want a big garage. Well, you're going to get a big kitchen, I get a big garage. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so how would, you, how would you describe yourself as an artist then, in a sentence? I'm on the road. I mean, it's every day. He's learning new stuff. It's still going. So I've been told that in your, your theology of art, that the garden is significant. Tell us about that. The garden. The Garden of Eden. Getting back to the garden. Yeah, because we have the privilege. We talked about it today in the, the, the class about how that uh, reason and knowledge and darkness has overcome the world. And by reason, I mean the age of reason, you know, Voltaire, uh, Sartre, Kierkegaard, Hegel. Those guys pushed, pushed God out and us down. And so the, the door to the heavens was closed and we get a chance to open it up again, to take a sneak peek into there. So when I paint, it's that great line from Eric Little, when I paint, I feel this joy. And I think that's the garden. It's pretty fun. I mean, it, it's just, why do I get to do it? I don't know. I love, I'm grateful. So some artists are brilliant, and nobody wants to work with them. That's not you. Help us understand. Yeah, I'd love to work with a brilliant artist. <laughs> no, no, no. No, 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 no. You're the brilliant artist in this story. That, that isn't temperamental and overly opinionated. It, you know what I'm talking about. There's some brilliant people who don't, people don't want to work with them. But people love working with you. Talk to us about that. It's true. I don't know if that's true. It's true. I've heard it. You should hear how people talk about you behind your back. It's, it's, you'd be really encouraged. So people like you. They want to work with you. They like you. you. You've kept from an arrogance that could come in with the kind of gifting God's given you. So talk to us. Has that been something you've worked at? Is it... Perspective, you. I have to fight the arrogance and 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 the because when you're told you're really good at something a lot, yeah, you can get kind of well, that's not bad, but I know myself and I can be better. And I compare, I look at others that are art, you know, artists, Cheryl's work far superior to mine, and uh, uh, and I, I wish I could see the art that that you have that you I wish you would bring it tomorrow, bring it tomorrow to show us, but um. I just, I don't know, I like people. That's all. I think if you like somebody, they tend to know it, I think. And they like you back, typically. Like yeah, thank and you. And one of the things, one of the things that, um, in this one, I'm going to stop, like, pumping you up, and I'm going to start tearing you down yeah. now. So, um, <laughs> we, we did. He was student body president, and I got kicked out of that So college. he wasn't really, he was born when you came here to work. Yeah, I got kicked out of you got Christian college. Of college. Yeah. Don't tell my board that. Here's the story, though. So we, we, we bring story. somebody up front, and we tell all the good things about them, and we lift them up, and everybody thinks, wow, that person's awesome. But I have all my flaws. I could never be like that. So I want to do something different, and I want to tell you that you, we all know that out of an artist is this melancholy. It's this struggle of us wrestling with some of the deeper issues in life, and we don't always have a solution for it, but we're wrestling with it. So the dark places are oftentimes where we mm. find the inspiration for yeah, some of our true. art. Norm is a melancholy person. He has one of the best sense of humors ever, 
But he is, he is a gentleman who is often down and a little bit wrestling with some of the realities of life. And as long as I've known him until tonight, he would never wear shoes. He was always barefoot, and it was always a problem around here. All the rest of the staff, yeah, this is your dress up. But, but it's the concept that, but we literally, over the years working with Norm, is, as I would have some leadership staff that would sometime go, what's that guy's deal? And I go, don't touch him, man. Don't touch him, let him be there. Because that's, it's, it's almost like you're a forward observer or a scout that's going on to some of the troubling issues in life and you're thinking about them and you're wrestling with them and they show up in your art. And this is a man who's done just that, who's remained faithful to God and continue to have that focus. But rather than seeing him as perfect, recognize him as he's like you. That he's, he's exploring those things, and that's where he draws on and brings that art out. So know that what you're feeling when you think I'm not perfect, go there and find your art there. Oh, that's helpful. Yes, good word. Good word. Thank you, brother. Anything? What, let me, one more question. Yes, sir. Put on your mentor hat. There are people who came here to be encouraged as artists. What would you want to say to them, Papa? <laughs> You know, I've been blessed to be able to follow other artists and stand on their shoulders and look at what they do. And then God brought another, like when, when Derek Gear came along. And I remember Derek took that position after I left. And he said, I can't do it. I can't do it, Norm. I remember this conversation. It was in my old office. And I said, Derek, not only can you do this, you're going to knock this out of the park. It, what they've seen up till now, it's, this is... Fleischer cartoons. We're going to Disney cartoons now. I mean, it, and I knew he would, and he did. And that was awesome. But there was others, you know, there was no program like that when I started. So it was just kind of, but they encouraged me, and that was fun. So I would say be encouraged and just have fun with it. It's so much fun. I mean, to paint and draw and sing and goof around. And got the lead singing up there all the time. And so tonight we sang old songs. I was like, I love the old song. I'm an old guy. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> grateful, grateful. Gratitude is a really neat thing. It yeah, it is. Thank you, brother. Thank Appreciate you. it. A lot of people say if you really want to find out who a guy is, ask his wife. Patsy, <laughs> what's, what's something we should know about Norm? He wouldn't tell us. I don't know. I don't have socks to pick up, so that's good. <laughs> I wasn't kidding about the no shoes. That was true. No, it's uh, it's always entertaining, and I, I, you know, I'm I'm thankful too. I have a lot to be thankful for. So. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What's the question? How do you sign your paint? Oh, I, I, I hide high Patsy in the, all of the little, you got to hunt for it. Been doing that since 79, too. You hide Patsy in your paintings? So on every one of those posters all of those years, hidden in it was a hi to his wife, hi Patsy. Oh, 
and you had to go study them. And sometimes people could never find them, but they were there. It's like, where's Waldo, but where's exactly. Patsy? That's, That's great. Exactly right. right, right, right. Yeah, good. I love that. Beautiful. He also had a great job title, by the way. One of the, one of the years, in order to try to hang on to Norm, I was doing everything I could. Like, you don't have to wear shoes. We gave him a, a complete little flower cabin office. But the, the bottom line was we let him come up with his own uh, job title, and he came up with Creative Kahuna. And that literally was on his business card, was Creative Kahuna for Hume Lake. So. <laughs> That's great. Have a hand up. Jeff, you're, you're doing a, a workshop tomorrow, well, not workshop, uh, a walk around the lake. Yes. How would you describe it? So when, when that's done, what is the essence of what you really want people to have gotten out of that time? Uh, just that it's time to go to the next seminar. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Like, that's You're very welcome. inspirational. That's, that's very inspirational. <laughs> the, the title of the seminar is uh, Artist is Pirate. And it's built on this concept that um, nothing that we're doing is actually that original. Um, that everything we draw from is out of a cupboard that God has fully stocked. So it's this fascinating idea. And this is the whole seminar right here. So you guys don't need to go tomorrow and I can sleep in. <laughs> But the, the idea is, is if you think of, we're, we're at Halloween, so all the you know, alien shows and different sci-fi thrillers are on. But think about aliens. There is nothing in an alien that isn't taken from something on Earth. We can't think of something that isn't already created. Now, we'll take it and Frankenstein it and pull different pieces, but we're not coming up with anything that God didn't give us to begin with. Mm. So there's a verse out of Proverbs 25.2 that says it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to reveal it. That the best thing a king can do isn't to build fine palaces and ride around in fancy chariots. It's literally to reveal the mysteries that God has hidden. And so even as we were talking about Norm's melancholy spirit and how we as, as writers and musicians and poets are trying to dredge out these ideas of the soul... Those are things that God has hidden in the eternal soul. This idea that, that we have been created in the image of God and there's things about us. So the bottom line is God's hidden things in you. He's hidden things in nature. He's put things everywhere. And we as artists have that ability to go discover those things and tell that story to the rest of the world as a poet, as a painter. As a musician, we're trying to draw out those emotions and things God's hidden. So that gets, you know, all fancy words and stuff. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is when you take a walk off in the woods, you find that stuff out there. And you find that God has hidden things right at the, the when we're walking through the forest, it's right at our feet. And there's this beauty and truth that's revealed in nature 
that's been there all along, but it takes somebody to take and look at it, and that's yeah. what we're doing tomorrow. So I've, I've had the, the gift of going on walks with you, and I said last night one of the main jobs of the artist is to help us slow down, and that's clearly something you do for someone who goes on a walk with you because we miss so much of what's going on. So first of all, how did you develop a perspective to be able to even help people with that? Because before you can help someone slow down, you need a slowdown. You can't help anybody slow down if you yeah. haven't done it yourself and, and looked more deeply than most people would on a walk. How did you first become that kind of person who slows down? Um, well, I'm a, I'm a shy, quiet introvert, so I love to just be alone. Mm -hmm. And so even this, I know people say, oh, you look so comfortable up there. I, this stuff freaks me out. I would much rather be out in the woods. So I would go out in the woods and I'd take a book with me and I'd read and watch. And then as you, as you sit in the woods, just sit still for a second. And if you sit still, the woods come back to life. You walk around the lake, you don't see a single animal. You sit for still for five minutes and they'll come out. And so things started to come mm -hmm. out. And then I would mm -hmm. see things that I didn't know what it was. So I would get a book and I would read about it. And then I would find that there was even more that I didn't notice that I had been sitting on top of. And so things started to reveal themselves. And then that verse literally, um, I'm, I'm going to steal some of the stuff that's in the seminar tomorrow, but that means you don't have to come. But there's a really cool story of a guy by the name of Matthew Murray. And Matthew Murray was in the US Navy in the 1800s. And he went all over the, he did circumnavigated the, the globe and Navy ships and things like that. But when he was back to the States on one trip, he got um, injured in a tragic carriage accident and it broke up his body and he could never go out on ships again. The Navy said, you, you know, you're, you can still work for us, but you're not going out on a ship, you're not able. So he's laying in his convalescing bed. His, his daughter comes up to him and starts reading Psalms 8 mm. about the glory of God mm. and ab about how God reveals himself in different ways. And, he, and it's the line where it says, and, and God made man a little lower than the angels, um, given dominion over the animals, that, that kind of a thing. But it starts listing things, the birds of the air and then the fish of the sea in all of the paths of the sea. And he's a sailor. And he's like, what paths of the sea? And he says, if God says there's paths in the sea, I'm going to go find them. This is a true story. He says, I'm going to go find them. He can't get on a ship, so he goes to the naval observatory where all the logs are from every Navy ship that's ever gone out. And he starts studying how fast they went and where they went and everything else. And he is the guy who's considered the father of oceanography because he was the first one to discover the currents, the ocean currents. In fact, he wrote up a thing for a captain who was sailing from New York to San Francisco. And he says, follow these coordinates. The captain did it. And he sailed for the first time 47 days faster than any ship had ever done simply because there were paths in the sea that were talked about in Psalms 8. And this guy, he's sitting there convalescing, and God said, hey, I'm going to break your body because I need you to slow down. And as he slowed down, he paid attention to what God was talking about, and he began to notice what God was talking about all along. So I think that's our gift to us, 
is even today, there were three painters out by the pond over here, and I stopped and heckled them and said, that's not paint. What are you guys, that's, this is an art. No, they were just starting. They were all looking at the pond, and each of them had a completely different approach and a different style, and it was the exact same pond. But it's as if God's a diamond, and one of them's looking at this facet of it, and another one's looking at this facet of it, and another one's looking at this facet of it. And this is us, right? If God's going to be glorified, every one of us have to tell our story of what we're seeing in that moment. So good. If you go with a, on a walk with Jeff. It's canceled now. Especially. especially <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean tomorrow. So we, we went on a path that wasn't frequently used. And he had clippers with him. And he was doing trail maintenance along the way. And... I was just thinking, so as ministers, as we all seek to be ministers of the gospel, as all Christians should see themselves, two of the main things we need to do is help people slow down and provide access for them to Make places, a path. To places the we've old, gone already. So, yeah. yeah. Stand Beautiful. at the crossroads and look for the old yeah. paths. That's yeah. out of the Bible. Yeah. And that concept is, is that... So years ago, um, Hume used to have a horse program, and they would take horseback rides all the way up to Huckleberry Meadow, which is a beautiful meadow for those who mm -hmm. like meadows. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's about a two-hour hike from here, but it's up on the ridge. It's beautiful, great wildflowers. Not right now. It's cold. Don't go. <laughs> but over the years, we got rid of the horses, and the shrubs, the manzanita, mm -hmm. the deer brush, the white thorn, everything grew over it. And so the trail still there underneath, but completely overgrown, so nobody knows it's there. But if we would go out with some pruners and some shears, and you just clip it along the way, then one of you might be wandering through the forest, and you're like, oh, there's a path here. Mm. And you begin to walk down the path, having no idea the history of how that, that path was cut out, what, what, all the work that was made to make it level, to get you up to the meadow. But it's that same principle. We could do these analogies all night long, right? <laughs> but the idea is that's us as well, right? It's us trimming back the brush so that people can find those ancient paths that lead to the beauty of God, that lead to the truth of the gospel. And that's us. And so that's the same thing. It's like, so for me, it was like, I'll, I can hike through that brush. I don't care. I'll go anywhere. But I knew that most of you would not. So the idea for us at Hume was if we want people to go out and see the glory of God, then we've got to create some ways where they can get out there. Now, I didn't say you need to go take this hike, but if somebody was walking along and they saw a path, you might wonder, where does that go? If it's overgrown, you're not going. If we can clear out that brush, then it leads to places. And that every person who uses it packs it down a little bit more, makes it a little bit more accessible, even if they're not intentionally doing it, yeah. just the use of it opens it up. Yeah. So it, it just occurred to me, I told Jeff a story last night uh, when, when we saw each other. We haven't seen each other for years. So I'm making a connection now that I think is really cool. So we're talking about slowing down, seeing the bigger picture, seeing what uh, most people don't see. So I think the first time we ever had a meal together, I had spoken in chapel on a Sunday morning. And then we went over for dinner. And that summer, we had our nephew with us who... He's he's six five. He he has Asperger's. He's got a lot of struggles and insecurities. And he was sitting across from Jeff at lunch, 
and he started choking on a piece of chicken cordon bleu. And he was already sort of insecure enough, and now he's choking, causing a bit of a scene. I pop up to, to give him the Heimlich maneuver, and just as I go over to him, the piece of chicken dislodges, flies out of his mouth, and right on the Jeff's plate. <laughs> and in that moment, most people would have recoiled and gotten up, and Jeff was so clearly seeing the big picture here. He was seeing things more slowly than everyone else would have, so I could not believe, he didn't flinch. He acted like he didn't even see a big hunk of chicken fall on his plate. He just took his napkin, kept looking at, at our nephew, covered up the chicken like a dead body, <laughs> and continued to eat off of his plate, doing everything he could possibly do to help our nephew feel okay. And to me, that's just taken what we've been talking about into an interpersonal, human, relational context and just supplying it, seeing below the surface, seeing things happening that are way bigger than a piece of someone else's food that just got on your plate. Plus, it was just one of the most manly things I've ever seen. Just, <laughs> he didn't care. It was, it was so tough. He just, he didn't flinch. And I, I tell people that when Jeff comes up, because I say, you know what, you can read someone's resume, you can read about their accomplishments, but until someone's chicken cordon bleu lands on their plate <laughs> and you see how they react, you don't really know who they are. And so you get these <laughs> insights now and then that really go to another level. Thanks, brother, for yeah, making our thanks nephew. For, thanks for that story. Yeah, yeah. so beautiful. <laughs> You're welcome. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So even as we're talking here, though, we're, we're touching on some themes. Some of those have to resonate with you, right? This is our life. So you guys want to start this conversation. Somebody, you have a story. You have something where you're, you're thinking. I actually have a couple of questions All I right. want to ask particular people. Good. Can I do Keep that? going. Laura, would you, would you come on? <laughs> she's part of our church, so she's used to this sort of thing. She had no idea I wanted to ask her to do this. So, now, I can't tell you how appropriate this is that instead of watching Thad Williams, we're going to hear from someone who actually wrote an endorsement for his last book on the back cover, if you look at it. Yes, isn't this true? His book on social justice, Laura wrote uh, it. Here's, here's what I want to ask you, Laura. You're one of those rare common... I said last night I'm a word person. I'm somebody who deals with propositions and ideas. You are too, you are an English teacher. You love words, you live in the world of words, you love ideas, you love propositions, you love creedal statements, but you're an artist. You're a, an amazing painter. We, we have several of your paintings that we have uh, in our home. So that, that's a bit of a rare combination. Somebody who loves words, lives in the world of words, but also really appreciates creativity and imagination were you that way as long as you remember? Is that something that developed over time? It seems, from what I know of you, you focused on, on a particular aspect for a while and sort of put painting aside for a while and then got back to it. Talk to us about how you became a word and image person. So whenever I took, um, you know how there are different times in your life when someone says you have to take a personality test 
This is so. Um, I always am like both, like equally both analytical and creative. Uh, uh. So um, I do think that actually that's, and they're very intertwined for me. Mm. Uh, so as we've been talking about art, I think, and, and about the act of creating things, um, there's so much to think about as, as relates to what all of you do, uh, what I do, and the why behind it. Sometimes I think that um, we have a big question mm. in our minds as artists, which is why is this important? And you touched on this last night, Eric, mm. and uh, you guys probably experienced a little bit. One of, I think, one of Eric's wonderful gifts to the Christian community is that he sees the gifts that God has given each of us and delights in that. Um, and you have had that role in my life of just encouraging me that there is a, a purposefulness and a meaning and a significance behind what you can contribute. Mm. Um, and so I need to really articulate those things in order to feel good about investing the time and the energy um, even being able to talk about it and think about the things that I do. So I have a natural propensity and excitement and enjoyment and, and just uh, mm. delight in creating things mm. um, and in beauty. Mm. Um, but in order to feel like that is uh, worth my time, mm. when I could be doing any number of other things that could in in kind of external ways be serving others more. Um, it's really important to have people in our, that, that we learn how to articulate that mm -hmm. and that we have people who maybe even are on the receiving end in some way of the gifts that we can bring who can mm -hmm. share with us mm -hmm. the delight that they have and, and how the Lord uses our gifts in their lives. So it's all kind of mixed for me and I kind of have to walk those things together yeah. in yeah. order to in order to bring the excellence and the focus to um, something that seems like it could be frivolous sometimes, right? Mm, mm. You guys feel that way? Mm. <laughs> and so one reason for us gathering, I think, and we've talked about this as we have our little very loosely organized, not even organized really, but those of us at our church, um, some of us have been able to come this weekend who tend to be the ones who are like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do something for the kids thing or for the for Christmas or you know for whatever we're doing and we're like okay bring your creative powers and juices and let, mm -hmm. then we're all gonna work over you know um, and make things with styrofoam cups um, or whatever it is you know cre creative ideas that we have. Allie yeah. oversaw create it was Easter wasn't it, Allie with the coffee filters? She, how many coffee filters? Any idea? She got 5,000 coffee filters and made the most beautiful Easter installation. Is that what you call it? Yeah. You impressed by that? Yeah. It, for us, it was, it was incredible. I'll never forget it. And, and styrofoam cups. And what are other things you've used through the years? What was it? Cardboard boxes. Cardboard boxes Just are big, right? Pallets and plants. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So good. Mm-hmm. So right now, you're actually helping to oversee a beautification of our sanctuary. And you've had some wrestling with that. 
theologically, yeah. just biblically. Talk about that. Uh, well, I really liked what Norm said when you asked him about, you know, all the great things. And, and he said, well, it's hard. You, there's a little bit of a struggle with doing something publicly um, and then receiving some kind of, um, well, it's, there's two sides to that coin, right? Either they like it or they don't. <laughs> and both are a problem <laughs> for, for your ego. So, um, so there's a little bit of wrestling always with being willing to say yes to something because you're going to struggle with that a little. I do struggle a little bit with like, okay, Lord, it is. Um, it feels nice that people <laughs> like something I did, mm. or gosh, now I'm anxious because I don't know if I'm even going to be happy with what I'm able to uh. produce. Um, and one of the dear women friends of mine at um, at our church said to me. Uh, a couple weekends ago when I told her, I've been working on this big project for a long time and I, it's kind of all in my head. Such an incredible privilege because um, somehow I'm in a situation where I can, I've been asked to envision something and then I get to work with carpenters and craftspeople mm -hmm. who I can say, okay, I want you to do this. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. they're making something that I don't have the skill to make, but they're implementing my vision. So that's just yeah, yeah. kind of an amazing thing. Yeah. But it's been going on for so long, and my confidence is, like, flagging. Yeah. And um, our my dear friend said, I'm not worried about it, Laura, because I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit mm. is going to bring about something mm. in this team of people who have stepped in to help with all these different parts of this project. Um, and whatever he's producing is for our church. Um, it was really helpful mm. to my ego to, to just say the Lord is in what I'm doing. And so whether I'm, I'm a plein air painter as well. And when I paint it, one of the best, best things is just forgetting who I am and seeing what the Lord has created and just doing my best not to impose some kind of style or some mm. kind of, I want people to respond this way to mm. it, but just how can I be faithful to see mm. what the Lord has done here yeah. and just walk in that path, you know, and then help other people to see it because, which is going a little bit, uh, another direction so a little bit there. But um, as we prune things away for people, we are, you're probably aware as an artist, so much of what we do, songwriting, whatever, it's simplifying. It's taking one thing and magnifying it and mm. saying this, let's look at this a little bit. And when you do that, it allows people to see what you have taken the time to be, to learn how to see. So when you're coming up with a plan for our sanctuary, what are, what are main things you're going to be trying to communicate in, in the finished product? Um, I want to, first of all, anything I think um, that's a part of our worship uh, needs to be, uh, it needs to submit to the lordship of Christ and to what he has called the church to be about during that time. So it, uh, I think we need to be careful when asked to do something like this, that we, I want to make sure that it's not something that's going to overshadow or distract mm. from, from what our service uh, needs to be focused mm -hmm, on. Mm -hmm. so, so there's a kind of even toning things down and, and making things neutral in some ways, but still interesting. Yeah. Um, I want to specifically show a connection between Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. Christ, the person who came to earth and who, who sits at the right hand of the Father. Mm -hmm. um, the real person of Christ, 
connected to the word that is preached, um, connected to the sacrament of communion. Um, so we have taken walnut wood and we've created in a similar kind of style the pulpit which already was in existence and we have, we're making a cross and communion table that tie those three pieces together. And then what um, we'll all be looking at uh, kind of behind, on the back of the stage, back of the platform um, is a, uh, we've taken the graphic design, if you could think of the noton or the, just the, just the, the the bare image of um, the wi the Western Wall in Jerusalem, and if you've seen images of that, or if you've been there, the top is lots of little stones or smaller stones, and the bottom is these big, massive stones, and and it's a wall that's been built and destroyed and rebuilt, and um, so it has this really interesting old, ancient kind of design to it. So we've taken the design of that and recreated it in wood and made it look old. Um, and we've, inter we've framed the whole thing in walnut wood and interspersed many of the little cracks with little bits of walnut wood. Mm. Um, and in my mind, what I'm wanting to communicate with that is that we are the church. We are the temple of God mm. being built up as living stones. Christ is the cornerstone. He's in us. He's, we are in him, and it is through his person, through the preaching of the word, through the word and the sacrament, mm. that we grow together as the church. So those are some of the thoughts behind so what we're doing. I'm a little freaked out because it's not yet. <laughs> I can't see it in front of me yeah, yet, yeah. but I am encouraged with um, that the Lord is at work through so what we're doing. Good. What yeah. a gift. Thank you. Yeah. You're amazing. Thanks. Beautiful. Isn't that cool? Great person. Justin, Laura just said some things that made me think of something you said in your, your time this morning, this afternoon. Uh, she, she was talking about actually taking things down from a level of complexity to, to a, a simplicity. And you mentioned that today, that, that sometimes, sometimes worship becomes such a big production that something's lost and more is not always better. Sometimes less is more. And I've, I've, we've spent so much time working together in, in with my preaching and your leading worship. And you do, you have an amazing ministry of a simplicity. And I've heard that several times this weekend, the value of simplicity. Uh, and it was Norm who talked about the difference between simplicity. No, who was talking about simplicity? It was, but. Yeah, you talked about that today, Bob. Yeah. Summarize that for us quickly. Well, basically, it, there's a difference between simplistic and simplicity. And it takes some effort to, to hone things down to be simple. And so as long as you draw the distinction between the two, then, you won't, then it won't be so threatening. So simplistic isn't very thoughtful. Right. But simple is, one, one author put it, that we want simplicity on the other side of complexity. We want to have worked through complexity so we can actually get to a simplicity. Athletes understand that, that, that there is a simplicity to it, but not until you've worked through the complexity of things, right? Yes, yeah, that, yeah, yeah I think that's right. Yeah, 
it was actually Oliver Wendell Holmes said, I wouldn't give a fig for simplicity on this side of complexity, but I'd give everything for simplicity on the other side of complexity. I just love the expression, I wouldn't give a fig. <laughs> you ever see a fig? It's like, <laughs> I wouldn't give yeah, but it's such, could we start using that again? <laughs> I wouldn't give a fig. So talk to us about, you were part of worship and Christian music production through the roof. And in some ways, I think in a healthy way, there's, you've had a reaction against that, right? Yeah. Yeah, so talk to us about that. Yeah, well, to that point with simplicity, a lot of leaders in the church, specifically senior pastors, executive pastors, even congregants, worshipers, will um, look at a worship leader as if they're looking at a flower from 10 feet away where it looks just like a simple, oh, yeah, you're just the singer. Just go up and you sing your songs and, and get off. How hard can it be? Which is why the majority of worship pastors, which I'm always advocating for worship leaders, are highly undervalued and underpaid and underappreciated in a lot of ways. And so I'm always going to bat for them, and some for good reason. But when you really look at the simplicity of something from a distance, but then you go close to it, you can see how complex it is. Mm. So there has to be that balance of the two, mm. that simply complex yeah. idea. But when it, when it comes to our worship, there's this distinction that I've learned over the years, maybe now 20 years, of the contrast between, between performance and servant shepherding leadership. And unfortunately, where the church... Um, the majority of churches in, in America are leading is kind of what the European church experienced about 15, 20 years before us is this very toxic um, road that we're going down. Mm. And so I have this great desire to see that change. And even if it means one worship pastor at a time, understanding their role is so valuable. Um, and it's not a performance role. It's a servant shepherding leader role. And we're missing a lot of that in the church. And coming, and a lot of that too is from the context that I was in as a rock star. I was in a Christian boy band in Nashville for five years and our target audience was 13 year old girls and their moms. <laughs> I, and I, I say that because that's actually what the record label says. This is who you're going after. This is who's coming to your concerts. And they're, the moms are the ones that have the money and they want you to marry their daughter. <clears throat> Which is so why when you actually got married, your value to them went down. Exactly. They threatened to take my deal away. That's really creepy. Yeah, and this was the Christian, Christian music industry. And so and I grew up on Christian music. So I was just, you know, as a songwriter at the age 14, I'm, I'm writing these songs, sharing them in my church, and listening to Michael W. Smith 24 hours a day going, oh, that would be so fun to experience that. But getting to Nashville and seeing that there was this corporate mess it grossed me out. God led me out of that uh, miraculously into the local church where I fell deeply in love with the body of Christ and the supernatural power mm -hmm. of singing together. That we were talking, um, Emily, and um, what was your husband's name? Lucas. Lucas at He's dinner. He's wonderful. Well, yeah, we were talking about this at dinner, just this um, beautiful gift that God designed singing together. Most humans can't explain what's happening to them and in the room when they start singing with other people. And we were today in our session, we were talking about how 
it's not really, it's not just a recommendation in Scripture. I see it as a command by God to sing together because he designed it as like a supernatural adhesive, a glue that binds us together. Most of us can't really explain why do I feel so closely, physically, spiritually connected to everyone just by singing. And in Colossians, we're called to admonish and encourage one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But when I look at what the problem we're having in America with our per, a performance-driven culture, a lot of that started when there was a shift from a certain style and preference started making its way into the church. And so out of fear, church leaders said, well, let's just separate the older generation to the new generation and give both what they want, which I feel was the beginning of a very dark journey that the church in America has gone through because then it created division, which the devil loves division, if you didn't know that. Let's use their own style and their own preference-driven um, worship against them by giving the old generation what they want, the young generation, and let's just divide them. When I'm screaming out going, I need the older generation. Yeah. I need that wisdom in my life. And, and then, you know, our, my kids need that. I was discipled by my grandfather. You know, maybe he didn't agree with all that I, you know, that I had my culture and my, my generation was all about. But, man, he poured into my life, and it gave me this appreciation for that kind of wisdom. And then when I see it from the church's um, perspective, we need each other. And Jesus prayed that they may be one as Christ and the Father are one. And so I just see this great need for unity and oneness. But our performance-driven culture pushes against that because it creates com consumers. So churches church. will bring Justin in for years to help them with their big problems with worship. And it's great because he comes from the outside and he's able to say, you know what, your choir is an idol. <laughs> or, <laughs> or this older, younger thing's got to go. And he really upsets people in wonderful ways. And so it's really good. So just give us a glimpse. You obviously care about quality of music. I mean, you work on your craft. And you, you really care about aesthetics. You care about how thing, things feel and creating an environment. And so there, there's a tough tension, isn't there, between being, being a quality musician with, with some performance elements of it but how do, you how do you balance that between performance and being a shepherding pastor who, who's a musician as well? Well, you, we all know that it is art. So artists you know, feel like they are, are glorifying God when they're able to share it, when they're able to not just hold it to themselves and, and hide it in a closet somewhere. But um, so as artists, I think it's natural in us to want to express that and show it as long as we learn how to deflect glory instantly, which we've talked about like five times. So the sooner when the glory wants to and the enemy wants us, I mean, there's been times where I have felt this heaviness of look how good, look, you have impressed everyone in the room. And I'm feeling like there's just this negative but ego battle going on in my head where I have to fight to deflect that. It doesn't mean I can't take a compliment and, and appreciate receiving that, but the sooner we can deflect 
the, the glory back up to where it belongs, I think the better. And, and some of that comes through brokenness and you know we all struggle as artists and creatives with mm. with pride and and being so um, overwhelmed with wanting to make sure it's perfect which is why I asked you that last night about when do we push put the brush down because we just have this this um, desire to have it perfect and excellent but at the end of the day as a worship leader I just I want people to experience not just the presence of God but the reality um, of, of who he is and who we are in him. So it's an identity thing. But first, it starts with me knowing who I'm leading. So if, and I was saying this today, I want to know and have a, a, a glimpse of what's the reality of what's happening in the room on a, any given Sunday. You know, and the more you know the people that you're leading or that you're sharing your art with, the more that you can craft the way that they receive it. Meaning, if I know that there are 15 broken marriages coming into the room on Sunday, I know how to pick songs. I know how to navigate through how we pray in between songs or even musically how to take them on a journey or even tell a story. If I know that there's uh, single moms in the room or men that are addicted or people that are struck, I mean, no matter what, any given weekend or any given opportunity where we're able to use our gifts to, to pour into other people and serve them is an opportunity to really craft something, kind of like a movie score is what we, what we talk about in our book. We talk about this with all the worship leaders we're pouring into is being really intentional about how the movie score of telling the gospel in, in our services can take place. And so much of that begins with setting the tone right, being able to take the edge off or what's the best way to break walls down by just helping people realize that our God is fully aware of everything that they're bringing in the room with them. It's creating a path. Yeah. It, it's creating a path for people, yeah. which requires getting the focus off yourself, putting it on God yes. and the people oh. and, and wanting to be edifying and helpful to them, equipping the saints rather than making a name for yourself. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Any any final words, Captain? All right. We good, Em? Okay. Jeff, would you pray for us? Lord, we just thank you again for who you are. And Lord, is uh, each of us have somehow taken on... Uh, that responsibility of taking the gifts you've given us, um, that we would be faithful with them. And that, Lord, uh, even as tonight, as we hear from different artists and they, and they describe a bit of their story, some of us look at our own and wonder, um, Lord, what are you doing with us? And, Lord, I would ask that uh, tonight that you would comfort each of us about the gifts you've given us, um, that you would continue to draw us out of ourselves and into this, this realm where we point to you, where we continue to glorify you, where we are taking the obstacles out of the way for others so that there would just be a simple truth left in front of them. Lord, that we might be faithful to you. And even as we sing now, Lord, that you might find us faithful in our worship of you. And we ask these things in your name.